0: Father, thank you so much for these guys, and we do lift up uh, uh, Chuck to you, and uh, just uh, uh, continue to pray for uh, the family as they uh, grieve, but also celebrate uh, uh, the uh, the grieving part of uh, not being present with uh, his mom, but uh, the celebration of knowing where she is and who she is, um, and uh, that she is well now. Father, just continue to pray for the guys. Pray for the decisions that were made, uh, Father, from, uh, from D-Now with these young people in the students' lives and uh, their hearts, and God, give them strength uh, to carry on and be faithful as they, many of them go back to school today, um, that they would, uh, they would carry through on the commitments uh, that they made, and God, as we look at your word today from Galatians chapter 5, uh, we pray for, um, uh, for your grace in our lives and your motiv- the motivating power of your spirit in our lives uh, that we would not use um, uh, just, uh, just the freedom that we have in Christ uh, as an opportunity uh, for, for sin or even spiritual laziness. In Jesus' name we pray, uh, amen and amen. You know, as we look at Galatians chapter 5, um, and we're going to pick it up in about verse 17, uh, maybe may, may start in verse 16. One of the things we want to do is look at the idea, this idea, really, uh, as Paul has talked prior to where we're going to pick up today, he's going to talk about the freedom that we have in Christ. Uh, if you go look in Galatians chapter 1, uh, he, he says, man, we are free in Christ. And part of the problem with the Galatian uh, believers is they had a bunch of what they referred to as Judaizers. Uh, coming in to uh, those who are new in the faith those who were Gentiles in the faith and they say you know faith in Christ is good but if you're really going to be um, if you're really going to be uh, a, a sold out believer uh, in the New Testament now you got to adopt all these things of the law you got to go back and if you're a, an adult male what, what do you need to do you, you need to do what you would have done had you been an eight day old uh, baby a uh, Jewish boy you'd have been circumcised and uh, you need to work, and you need to follow, uh, you know, to def- learn learn all of the festivals, and you need to learn about all the washings, and you need to w- learn all of these things. And so what they began to do is they, They took the gospel, the essence of the simplicity of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ died for us. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And whoever receives him uh, receives the gift of eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then they said, but you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. They started adding. Adding all of these legal mandates uh, to the simpl- simplicity of the gospel. And so, so Paul starts Galatians chapter 5 uh, really with the chastisement. He says, I'm surprised, I'm a bit shocked, I laugh a little bit when I, I, I look at you and see how quickly you've abandoned the simplicity of the gospel. And you begin to add these other things back onto it. Now, at the same point, he says, there's always, just as there's, uh, there's the chance of the extreme, that we would take the gospel that delivers salvation and forgiveness to us, we could take it in one extreme then begin to add a bunch of other things to it, right? Uh, we, we even do it, we, we, we can talk about uh, different denominations. Uh, the Catholic Church say you have to do this or this denomination says you have this or this denomination you, have, you say has this and, and no denomination is, um, is, is immune to, uh, to adding things to the gospel. Well, if you're going to be a really good Christian, you got to like this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this. Uh, so, just like denominations do, there also uh, there is that other extreme, which is that we go to a place and we go to a space in our faith that we say, you know, I'm saved. Therefore, I don't have to do anything anymore. That I, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to have any works. I just, I know that I've trusted Christ. Christ has settled my salvation. I'm forgiven. Therefore, I can just live any way I want to. And Paul wants to reel that back in. So I, really, before we're going to go today, uh, where Paul talks about uh, the, the, the war that takes place between the flesh and the spirit, he's just talked about the freedom we have in Christ. But then he just simply says, do not use your freedom." as a license to sin. And he also says, do not use your freedom that you have in Christ through salvation as a license for laziness. He says, we have to understand that the gospel sets us free, but it doesn't set us free to live a life of sin. It doesn't set us free to live a life of laziness. It sets us free to live a life of purity, a life of being salt and light, but also a a light that labors for the Lord greatly. And so that's what we're going to pick up. So let's pick up reading. Uh, We're going to pick up reading in verse uh, 16. And I just want to show you a few things as we journey through and as we walk through. Uh, But he says, So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then notice what he says. He talks about uh, the Spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another. He says, For the flesh desires... What is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want to do. He says, listen, if we think about it, the spirit and the flesh are never going to be friends. They're always going to be at war with one another, they're always going to be in conflict with one another. Your flesh is always going to beg you, move you, invite you. To what? Commit a sin of the flesh. That's what your flesh does. And as long as we're in this body, we are going to be bound, we're going to be drawn away, we're going to be tempted by our flesh uh, to uh, make fleshly decisions and live a fleshly way. If you go back over to Romans chapter 7, uh, Paul is very similar what he says in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. Uh, In Romans chapter 8, what does he say? He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? He talks about the freedom that we have in Christ. In fact, all of Romans chapter 8 is Paul's confirmation of how uh, we are free in Christ. We don't have to earn our salvation, it's been bought, it's been paid for. As a believer in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation, none whatsoever. And he talks about uh, going through Romans chapter 8, that whatever happens in our life, uh, man, whether it's good or bad, uh, God can cause uh, His purpose to still reign in our life through difficult situations, through celebrations, through good times, through bad times. He says no one can bring a charge against God's elect, right there in the latter part of Romans chapter 8. He goes, and the reality is for believers... That even in tough times, difficult times, hard times, we are going to be conquerors. And he uses the word in Romans chapter 8, more than conquerors. Now, that's Romans chapter 8. But in Romans chapter 7, what does he say? There is this war that wages inside me. And and he doesn't say there's a subtle conflict. He, He doesn't say from time to time, I have this little struggle that goes on inside me. He doesn't even seem to say, you know what, sometimes when I'm making a decision, there's a little angel me on one shoulder and a little devil me on the other shoulder. How many of you have seen that in the movies, right? He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, there's a war going on inside me, a battle that is going on inside me. And so as we think about uh, uh, Paul's experience from Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8, he kind of abbreviates that battle. He doesn't use the same terminology, but he abbreviates the battle right here for the Galatians because Paul is coming down, putting his foot down on the Judaizers. He's saying, listen, it's not salvation plus the law. It's not salvation in the gospel plus a bunch of Jewish rituals. He says, that's the gospel and the gospel alone. But then he says, no, no, some, you're going to receive the gospel and then you're going to go live any way you want to. He says, let me tell you, that is, uh, that is not the true gospel. And so he says in verse 17, he says, Man, the spirit and the flesh are always at conflict with each other. They will not. And, and then he says, Listen, if you are led by the spirit, look at what he says in verse 18. He goes, You're not going to be under, under the law. So look at verse 17. He says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you would not or you are not to do whatever you want. He says in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Uh, What is he saying there? Somebody give me an idea. When he says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What is he saying? Okay. Somebody else says, not our earthly desires. Okay, good. If you're led by the Spirit, you're uh, you're not going to be under the law to begin with. What else? Somebody else have a thought. If you're led by the spirit it give you victory over the flesh and its works. Good. Somebody else, anybody else have another note? Yeah. Yeah. God's above the law, and if His Spirit's leading you, He's going to lead lead you by His directive not to follow the law, but to follow the Spirit and the, the desires of the Spirit. Anybody else have something? Yeah. Yeah, Doug says walk, that idea of walk by the Spirit. It's a continual process. Walking is not one step, you know. It's not the step of salvation. We'll come back right over here. Somebody... Yeah, yeah. If you're in Christ, if you're led by the Spirit, you're in Christ. You're constantly being led by the Spirit. Over here, come back to you, Chuck. Yeah, yeah. The Spirit, if we're led by the Spirit, the Spirit's going to give us the desire uh, to follow through on what uh, God desires in His heartbeat. We're going to have a desire to fulfill. and, And much of what we do will, in fact, live by the law. Uh, not not necessarily the law of the works that bring salvation, as the Jews were teaching it, but the law of just uh, living a pure life and a righteous life. What you got, Chuck? right right and so he's going back to the kind of the purpose of the law and the nature of the law if you think the Ten Commandments all right uh, the Ten Commandments can save you but but those are pretty good bumper rails for how you want to live life in a community right uh, you know love the lord your god with all your heart mind and soul do not create any graven image you not do not lo- use the lord's uh, name in vain keep the sabbath remember the sabbath and 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 keep it holy honor your Father and your mother, do not kill, right? Do not, do not kill, do not steal, uh, do not covet, do not commit adultery, do not lie. I mean, you just go through those. That's a pretty good, those are pretty good bumper rails. Those are guard rails uh, for, um, uh, you know, for living well in a community and have a community that's rightly related to each other. Because guess what? If we all lived in close proximity to each other, and uh, we, don't, we don't kill each other, we don't lie against each other, we don't uh, bear false witness, we don't uh, sleep with each other's wives, uh, if we don't uh, do any of those things, right? Uh, we're going to have a pretty peaceful community. We don't need a billion laws, right? But none of those laws in and of themselves lead us to salvation. What they do is they create a better community. And even if you look at the table of the law, the first few laws have to do with our relationship with God. If you and I are living in right relationship with God, chances are we're not going to fulfill any of those other, um, we're not going to break any of those other commands. Why? Because if I'm living to honor God, to serve Him, to uh, keep the Sabbath and keep it holy, guess what? I'm also then in turn going to live in right relationship with those around me. Right? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 when they said, Teacher, what is, which is the greatest law? they were trying to trap Jesus. What did Jesus do? He talked about, number one, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Talking about your vertical relationship. Then what did he say? He just summed up all of the Ten Commandments. He says, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He goes, there it is, right there. How do you want to live in a right relationship? Love the Lord your God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what had happened from the time of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament to the time of Jesus, all right, is that these Ten Commandments, as, uh, as the Jewish uh, leaders, uh, the priest, uh, and then eventually the Pharisees, they begin to look at the law and say, you know, those ten, those ten rules are good. But, you know, we can come up with some more rules, right? And so they say, well, well, I got an idea. Why don't you, um, you know, if you're not going to steal something from someone, but let's add another rule and another rule and another rule and another rule. Well, you think about what has happened in our country, right? You go all the way back to the early days of our country. You know, we had, we had, we had a couple of really good rules to live by as our country. And, and then what happened? Every year, what do we add? None the thirteen thousand laws, uh, because that's going to make us act better and operate better, and so therefore we obey all thirteen. I mean, we don't know them. We don't even know the new ones, right? We still know the the key ones. Thou shalt not kill, right? Uh, and then they started to add one. Well, okay, if you're not going to kill, let's don't beat anybody up either. All right, let's don't then. And then there's going to be degrees. Uh, and so, so what had happened is. Through the Old Testament, the, uh, the Pharisees into Jesus' time had taken the ten laws and some of the old ceremonial laws. They had brought up well over 600 laws by the time Jesus... And, and if you were just the average, typical lay person, lay Jewish person, you had no clue how many laws. And the Pharisees would sit around and judge you based on the law that you broke that day related to your hair, related to the way you walk, or related to what you did or didn't do on the Sabbath or whatever. And you didn't know, and then here was the key. They judged you. They judged you by it. And so what happened is they begin to try to pull some of that into the Galatian believers, these Gentile believers, and they begin to lay these law requirements. And Paul says, "Listen. You need to learn to live by the Spirit." The Galatians' immediate response was if you don't put some laws on these gentiles, they're going to go back to living like gentiles. They're going to hang out with unclean people. Well, how did you, how did how did the Jew define that that day? Someone that was uncircumcised, someone that did this and someone that did that. Well, they wanted to they wanted to pretty up the place. And so Paul just takes it back to the war between the flesh and the spirit. Don't make it a war uh, between the law and the gospel. It's a war between the flesh and the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you, it will always be in contradiction to the flesh. And so that's the battle. That's what he says. Now let's continue to re- read on and notice what he says. He says, if you're led by the, but if you are led by the spirit, uh, he says if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. All right. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgy, and the like. Notice that. Some of you might have felt like, well, I skate, skated through there. Mine wasn't in the list. Uh, that, yes, it was. All right? All right. Your, your pet sin, your particular sin is, in, is covered by that, those few words, and the like, all right? Kind of like et cetera. That's, uh, that's the Greek version of et cetera. So whatever you struggle, you say, well, I don't commit adultery, and I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't do this, uh, and I would never uh, be considered a debaucherous person, but I'll stand around grumbling. That falls under, under un, and the like. Uh, I'll split a group of Christians up with what I say. That falls under and the like. Uh, I'll sit around and judge other people and the like. And so it's all in there. And so we need to understand if we're led by the Spirit, we're not going to be involved in any of those that are listed and the like. And so it's kind of interesting. It says they're obvious. Sure. Sure. Paul, in Romans chapter 7, talking about the war and the wage, the battle that goes on, it starts in here, right? But the war between the spirit and the flesh will always end up in an evident, visible way. That's what we need to understand. It will always end up in an evident, visible way. If you are led by the flesh, we will eventually see it. If you are led by the flesh, your wife will eventually see it. If you are led by the flesh, your kids will eventually see it. If you are led by the flesh, your boss will eventually see it. Why? Because they will be made evident by our actions. All right? That's what he means. That word "evident" means evidence, means things you can see. If you're taking him before court, what is uh, part of the district attorney's job? He's, he's to lay before the court the evidence that is against you. You say, how do you know that he did this? Why would you think John Mark did this or, or Eric or Chuck or someone else did this? Well, the district attorney and, uh, is going to make a case, and here's evidence number one. Here's a ev- piece of evidence number two. Here's piece of evidence number three. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, if we are led by the flesh, there's going to be evidence. We might be able to hide it for a while, we might be able to conceal it for a season, but it is going to be evident. Y'all tell me, where is it going to be evident in? Everywhere, okay? But, but some subtleties of where it's going to be evident. Y'all give it to Huh? Inappropriate jokes, off-color jokes. Yeah, somebody else. What you watch, what you read, what you say, who you hang around with—yeah, boy, that was like self-incrimination right there. Uh, That's a self-inflicted wound right there. Somebody else. How, how do they become evident? Huh? When you're home alone, what you do when you're home alone? When no one, yeah. Yeah, that's when you're you're going to do it, when no one's watching. What else? But it's going to become evident. How does it become evident? How does it become evident? Because usually whatever you do consistently and over and over again at home alone, it usually doesn't stay at home alone. Eventually, you might try to conceal it and keep it in the secret place. You will just try to go to a secret place and uh, conceal it yeah well congratulations so (laughs) in fact fact, you go to wikipedia your picture is in the rest is next to the rest of them but not witchcraft so uh yeah yeah and and by the way your your picture's next to and the like Uh, (laughs) uh but it's going to be evident. I mean, and we, we need to understand if we are led by the flesh, it is going to be evident. You know, uh, uh, anybody here, uh, and this, sadly this happens as a pastor, that uh, there'll be a couple or a family in our church that uh, seems to be, and, and we've had this happen in the last last couple of years, Uh uh, on a, and it's almost a regular routine, almost to the place where sadly it doesn't surprise us anymore. Someone who's faithful and they serve in uh, children's ministry and they serve in Awana and they serve in this and they serve in that. And then all of a sudden we'll get a phone call out of the blue from the wife or from the husband. And he left or she left. They're splitting up. None of us had any idea, right? But what just happened? The deeds of the flesh became evident, right? It, it wasn't evident to me or, or perhaps to our staff or even to the to home group or the life group leadership for a long time. It wasn't evident, but it became evident. Now, it, it doesn't always mean that that person was having a, um, uh, an extra, extramarital relationship. Sometimes it is, they' just they've just learned to envy and they've been in rivalry and they've been argue, arguing all the time. And guess what? Apparently when they come to church, they know how to put a smile on each, other's, on each other's face and they walk around and they look at you and might even know how to sing the songs and say the, say, the, say the prayers. And in public, they know how to do one thing, but you go put them in the car and they can't stop snipping at each other and arguing at each other and fighting with each other and battling with each other. And guess what? Eventually, the deeds of the flesh become obvious. And for us, it's a phone call. You know, and and sadly, a lot of times, by the time we get the phone call or we get the idea, it's done. I mean, they've already charted the course. They haven't come earlier. They haven't showed up earlier. And that's what we see. Now, a lot of times what we have a tendency to do is we want to focus on that person that was caught by the law, right? That that person who went and uh, uh, got caught drinking and driving. And we want to sit around and talk, and we want to gossip about that individual. But what about the people within the realm who, not in church but outside of church, live by the flesh? And that's where we want to be careful. Regardless of whatever you are led by, when it relates to the flesh, if you don't deal with it by the Spirit, it will become evident. All right, so let's go ahead and keep reading. Let's pick it up. And so he goes through and he, he gives us the idea, says, and the like, and uh, rage and selfish envy and dissensions. Uh, and uh, congratulations on uh, Shane by staying away from the witchcraft idea. Really, uh, really appreciate it. Uh, and he says, I warn you, notice this, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. Now, The question is, what does Paul mean? What does Paul mean? He says those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is Paul saying that you can lose your salvation? No. So what is Paul saying? Right, right. If you are living a life of unrestrained debauchery, uh, envy, struggles, fighting, immorality, sexual immorality, purity, uh, if you are living that way, and that's something Doug Doug talked about uh, a few minutes ago, he talked about your walk. If your pattern of walk is to constantly and consistently pursue That kind of lifestyle and those kind of things, chances are you didn't lose your salvation. If you are all about uh, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, uh, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, uh, uh, dissensions, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. He goes, I warn you that um, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And what he's saying there is not be careful because God's up there counting, going one, two, three, four, five. You need to ease back. Six. God's not up there doing Seven. Come on. Eight. Nine. This is your last go at it, Doug. Ten. You're out. That's not what he's saying because the gospel is always available to anyone who repents, anyone who turns around, anyone who comes back. So what is Paul saying? He's saying chances are if you in an unrestrained pattern live a life, your life, in a debaucherous fashion without ever turning back in repentance... Chances are you are not a believer. You say, Pastor, how bad can it get? Well, I'll give you the stories of the Old Testament. David and Saul, two different people. Saul, the first king. David, the second king. David's a man after God's own heart. Saul appears to be a man after his own heart. Saul might have these little blips in the screen where he seems to almost kind of listen to Samuel a little bit, but his consistent, constant pattern seems to be to do his own thing, his own way, his own time everywhere, and it cost him everything. David, you can take a glimpse of David's life particularly about a chapter and a half. And you can see strong evidence that David wasn't led by the faith, right? I mean, not only does he commit adultery with a woman, he ends up deceiving his her husband. He, he ends up, when the husband won't play along because he's more honorable than David, David ultimately has him killed. I don't know about you, but from adultery to murder... How many of you, those are kind of big, right? Those are two of the top ten right there. And and he really deceived him too. He coveted his wife. So pretty much everything in the back half of the Ten Commandments, David broke in that one little season, right? Go to the New Testament. Remember the prodigal son? How bad did it look in the prodigal son life? pretty bad, right? He shows up to the father, he says, hey, listen, I know you're not dead yet, and typically we we'll wait until you're dead before we get the inheritance, but dad, wouldn't you enjoy watching me spend it while you're still alive? That's why I'm always a big uh, big fan of, give your money away while you're alive, that way you'll be knowing where it's going, Right? And what did this young man do with it? He went out and spent every last cent he had on wine, women, and song and with all of his friends who were happy to be there and live with him and sin with him. And what happened? He came to the end of himself, his money, his inheritance, and everything. What demonstrated that he was still a child of the Father? What was it? The fact that he didn't sin? Yeah, he repented and came back. Now, so that's why we always want to be careful of prejudging and early judging. Let me ask you a question. Even in the prodigal son's worst day, Was there ever a day he wasn't the father's son? Not at all. Yeah. Yes, I think you're going to be in. That's that's good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Was there ever a time that the son wasn't the father's son? Absolutely not. Now, was his friendship with the father broken? Yes. Was his relationship, or what, what the, the, the term we use in the New Testament? Was his fellowship broken? Yes. He didn't have a good relationship with the Father. Positionally, he was still the Father's son. Practically, what did the Father desire? That the Son would return. Right? If you go over to 1 John chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. What what does John say? He says, I write this to you, my dear children, that you may not sin. How many of you would agree that that's the ultimate desire of God's heart and every disciple's heart in our life, that we would not sin? All right? So our call today should be that none of us sin. And if any one of you do, you will lose your salvation. What does the rest of that verse say? Anybody know it? 1 John 2, verse 1. He says, I write this to you that you may not sin. What does it say? But there you go. go. Go ahead and share it, Joel. Yeah. That's exactly right. Man, I love that verse. He says, but, he says, I write these things that you may not sin, but if we do sin, that same Greek preposition that tells us if also gives us the word when. Not W-I-N, (laughs) W-H-E-N. See, the call for us today is that we would not sin. But when we do sin, and some of you, I am betting on you. (laughs) But when you do sin, we have an advocate, an attorney, a lawyer with the Father who defends us who is our mediator. I love the word, and and it's only, I think think the New American Standard is the only one uh, that uses the word there. It's the propitiation of our sins. In other words, when we sin, it's almost as if that sin is in the courtroom of the heavenlies. That Satan brings a charge, back to Romans chapter 8, against God's elect, one of his children. For those who are in Christ, Satan says, man, oh, uh, so-and-so has been involved in debauchery today and drunkenness today and evil, uh, rivalry and envy and all of these today. And uh, God, God looks down after the charges have been brought by Satan and Satan love That's part of what Satan means, slanderer, one who brings charges against us. God looks at us. And says, what say ye to this? And before we can speak, our attorney, our lawyer, Jesus, our advocate, speaks up and says, charges true, but paid for already. Charges true, but paid for already. When were they paid for? Back over two thousand years ago on the cross, you know, a lot of times people they 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 trust Christ as Savior and Lord, and then they think about the next sin. They struggle with the guilt of the next sin and the next sin. They say, "Man, can God forgive me if I fall back into that sin again?" They think about that future sin. You know, the reality of it when when Christ died for you on the cross over two thousand years ago, all your sins were future. How many of you know that? Our next sin is no more of a shock to God and to Jesus than all of our sins have been. Part of why we're looking at Psalm 139 is that He knew us. He knit us together. He knew what we we're going to be prone to. He gave us His Word. This is don't live by the flesh, but instead live by the Spirit. And so as we think back on this passage, he says, listen, our desire today ought to be to absolutely live by the Spirit. And we know those will come to them, man, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those things that we're great at, right? Those just come so natural. How many of those, those they just come natural for you? No, they don't come natural. Those are are spirit-led. That's a choice we have to make to live by and live with and live uh, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. It's the flesh that will always want to come out. Well, guess what? At what point in your spiritual maturity will the flesh not want to show up? Somebody tell me. When you die. Yeah. Yeah. At no point. Now, I will tell you that as you get more and more spiritual, you will get better and better at hiding the obvious sins of the flesh. But you can still be led by them. And it doesn't matter your age. And a lot of times when I say your age, I'm not talking about your physical age. I'm talking about your spiritual age. I'm really not even talking about your physical age or your spiritual age. I'm talking about your physical maturity and spiritual maturity. There are a lot of people that have been Christians for a long, long time, but they live their lives in an immature fashion. They at some point stopped growing in their faith. That's essentially what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He says, you walk around here, Looking as though, living as though, acting as though. You have it all together. He says, you're just a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You're dead. Still dead. And so we want to make sure that we're always growing in our faith. And growing in our faith is always acknowledging that we have something to confess. Here's the good news, bad news. That simple prayer of confessing, which John talks about in 1 John chapter 1, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. You want me to give you the good news, bad news about that verse? Here's the good news it always works. Here's the good news. It all, everybody say, It always works. Here's the bad news. You'll always need it. Do you understand? You will always need it. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. It always works. But it doesn't matter how old I am or how young I am. I'm always going to need it. And if you don't think you need it and you don't use it, I'm just going to encourage you to watch out. Yes, sir. Are you just raising your hand? Are you volunteering? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Boy, when you look in Galatians chapter six verse one, go read, select six verse one. Just uh, pick it up. Uh, I don't want to get this thing to go over to the next one. Electronics love it. He says, "Brothers and sisters, Galatians chapter six. If someone is caught in sin," You who live by the Spirit should restore that person, what's the word? Gently. Gently. That word restore, that restore has the idea of resetting a broken bone. Do it gently. That's exactly, that's exactly right. You know what that means? First John 1, 9, it always works, and if we aren't careful, we'll always need it. I've seen some great people of faith and wonderful saints impel themselves, impel themselves on the sinful rocks of life because they started thinking they were above, above being led by the flesh. Somebody else had something, yeah well that that's good that, that there's two parts to that, and um ultimately, we should be growing past it, we should be growing past it, but we should also be acknowledging. Our own struggles, and part of what we're going to look at is God knit us together. Some of us just naturally in here uh, have a more stinging tongue, and uh, I'm not saying you are, but a lot of times when when we when we deal with that verse, we want to talk about someone who's drinking, or someone who's doing this, or someone who's doing that. I want you to know. It, we we all struggle with certain things in that list of being angry, bitter. How do we speak to our wives? I can confess that a bunch, and I love my wife to death. Um, so it probably does mean that we are not living the way we want to, um, particularly if it's, if it's an incredibly destructive behavior that we go back to over and over again. I, I do believe there are such things as addictions. I absolutely believe, y'all, y'all know my brother took his life, and, and alcohol was his. There would be seasons and times with my brother that um, you would go look at him, and he would look terrible. You just knew he'd been drinking and struggling with addiction for his life. You'd see him six months later, he'd have six pack abs, and you know, and he'd work out every morning, and you, you knew he, he he was off. And then you'd go a year, 18 months, and you'd walk up to him and go, Gah. you know, just one led to the next, led to the next, led to the next. He never went out looking for it. Just something from time to time would cause him to go and uh, uh, get one. The problem was he was not the guy that could drink just one. It just turned into bottles, and that was just what ultimately drove him to take his life. And... Um, you know, so I also acknowledge there are things like addictions that, that people really need extra help for. It doesn't make them any, any more of a sinner or any less of a Christian. So we want to be careful judging too, uh, too, too, uh, too harshly. I would always say on that verse, that is a very legitimate question, that if you are praying the same confessionary prayer day in and day out. You need to watch how you're living. But don't ever use that verse to deal with someone else's sin. It says deal with your sin. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. A lot of times we want to use that verse to question someone else's salvation. That verse should cause us to question our own salvation. Now, a billion others tell us not to question our salvation, but use it in your own life, in your own heart. And if you say every night I come in and I make this mistake and what I say with my wife, I don't need to confess that. I need to change by the Spirit. If I do this, if I do that, all right? So that's what I would be thought. Yeah, yeah, I had it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would tell, and, and people do oftentimes, they'll, they'll come to me and they will ask, hey, do you think I'm a Christian? I did this. And, I, and this isn't the first time I've done it. And I'll say, well, I, I can never tell you if you're a Christian. But I can tell you that I'm encouraged that you're asking me the question. Because at least that tells me some sort of conviction is there by the Spirit, right? It's the person that seems to have no remorse and no, and and, and remember the prodigal son, this no remorse lifestyle can be there for a season, all right? But you're right, the person who just constantly is in a rage and angry and evil and always stealing from somebody and always this and always that and never seems to feel any guilt or shame, um, you know, that's that's a person to question. But remember, that's a person who needs the gospel. And this is one of the things that we always want to re- be reminded of. And, and, and we talk about this, uh, you know, uh, if we believe... What we say we believe. That there's one of two destinies for everybody an eternity in hell or an eternity in heaven. Our heart's desire should always be to reach every person with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because none of us deserve an eternity in heaven. I'm no more fit. For Eternity to heaven than the worst guy I walked past on the streets of New York City over the last couple of days. I'm no more fit. I don't deserve it. It's an unmerited grace. And that's when we always got to be staying passionate about it as a church about ministering and reaching and t- teaching the next person through the door. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. He didn't look down and say, hey, you know, some of y'all are pretty. Pretty wrapped together. Y'all are pretty tight. I'm going to come down there and get some of y'all. Absolutely not. He looked down. He says, y'all are a mess. He says, from the day I created the first two, you're a mess. And he goes, the only answer is my son. All right? All right. So today, as you go out of here, you got a battle. Flesh and the spirit. My prayer is, and I prayed this for you as I was preparing this on the plane coming back last night is that the Spirit of God in a convicting way will wear you out more in the next 24 hours than He did the last seven days when you are not walking by the Spirit and you are walking by the flesh. So the downside of you showing up today is I prayed that for you, is that the Spirit of God would wear you out and me out. All right? Lord, thanks so much for this day. Thank you for these guys. Man, what a joy it is just to share and to talk um, uh, as we journey back out into the freezing cold. Uh, Let us uh, be led by your Spirit today and encouraged along the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys.